Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to join me in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to start reading there at verse 21. If you didn't happen to bring your Bible with you, you can follow along. Most of the references I have today will be on the screen behind me, um, and you can follow along that way. Now, we are only two weeks away from Mother's Day. I say that for two reasons. One, to keep all of you guys out of trouble. We are two weeks from Mother's Day. You might want to write that down. But also, the second reason is... On Mother's Day, we go back to one Sunday morning worship service. So on Mother's Day, yeah, you can applaud that if you want to. We'll all be together and uh, at 10 o'clock. So starting on Mother's Day, come join us at 10 o'clock. It'll be a fun time through the summer being able, all of us, to be together in one worship experience. Also, how many of you all been down 17 and noticed the progress on the new building? Yeah. We're all under roof now, and uh, I hope you'll keep your eye on that. Several of you who are Snowbird guests of ours have come in and told me that today's your last Sunday or next Sunday's your last Sunday. So I'm just going to tell you, we're still on schedule to be in the new building next October. So on your way back, you might want to check and find out where we are next fall so you show up at the right place. But we are still on schedule to be in the new building next October. And I keep your eyes open because we're going to do a lot of things together as a church to celebrate, to, to pray God's blessing on that land and the ministry that takes place there in the months that's leading up to that. On May the 5th, we're having our next Worship Wednesday here in the sanctuary at 6 p.m. And immediately after that, we're going to do another town hall to give you as much information as we can so you can be up to date on the building. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. I want you all to know that I changed the order of things. So if you noticed um, on social media, I was supposed to be preaching about overcommitment. But early in the week, I just felt like I needed to go a different direction. It's not their fault. Um, I'm the one that made the decision. But I really felt like this morning there would be someone here who needed to hear this message. In in fact, just let me let you off the hook. Every one of you all need to hear this message this morning. But somebody here especially... Uh, Today is the day you needed to be in church to hear this, so I hope that the Lord will bless you with this. Verse 21, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive a brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants and As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled all his debt, let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, Be patient with me. I will pay it back. But he refused, and instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. And shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. 
Lord, how many times? How many times? I wonder if Peter didn't ask it just like that. How many times? And even if he didn't, every married person has started off a conversation with that line. How many times? How many times am I going to have to tell you to pick up water bottles and stop drinking them halfway down? How many times am I going to have to pick your shoes up off the floor? How many times am I going to slap you and make you roll over so you won't wake me up snoring in the middle of the night? How many times are we going to have this conversation? And those are the minor problems. Then there are the times we ask, how many times do I have to forgive? We ask that for the big problems. We're returning to the series we began right after Easter. We're calling it Until Death Do Us Part. Jesus one time said, Whoever wants to be My disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow Me. What Jesus was saying is, if your relationship to Him is going to last, there's something about you that has to die. You have to be the executioner, and you have to kill it in yourself over and over again. Something about you has to die. You have to be the executioner and you've got to kill it over and over again. And the same is true in every relationship and especially in marriage. If love is going to live, something in me has to die. I have to put it to death. And I have to make the decision to kill it over and over again. Love dies between us because of what we refuse to kill within us. Now, I want to say that again. Love dies between us, usually because of something I refuse to kill in my own heart. We talked about killing selfish and worldly expectations that we bring to the marriage relationship. And then last week, Pastor Mike talked to you about putting to death secrets, secrecy that we have between one another. And this morning, the thing that I want to talk to you that has to die is bitterness, unforgiveness in your heart. This was Peter's concern. In fact, it's really the concern of the whole of the 18th chapter of Matthew. If you ever want to take the time to read it, dealing with where there's been hurt and betrayal and interpersonal relationships, the theme of the entire chapter. And it's interesting that when chapter 18 ends with all of this talk about forgiveness, chapter 19 starts with this. Some Pharisees came to him to test him and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, I think that's divinely orchestrated because, folks, if you don't get the forgiveness thing right, you'll be dealing with the divorce thing eventually. If you don't get the forgiveness thing right, you'll be dealing with the divorce thing eventually. Because wherever two or three of you get together, there's going to be a fight. Amen? Wherever two or three of you get together, there will be a fight. It doesn't matter how compatible you are. I remember several years ago when Neil Patrick Warren was first starting the eHarmony dating site. And he started the first commercials. I'll never forget the day I was watching a football game or something, laying on my couch in prayer at halftime or something, I'm sure. And, um, and Neil Patrick Warren shows up in the commercial and he says, We match men and women together on 79 dimensions of deep compatibility. 79 dimensions. 79. Ladies, men don't have 79 dimensions. I was counting. I don't even think I have three dimensions. 
And by the way, you're incompatible. You are incompatible. You know how I know? You're a woman. He's a man. You're incompatible by, by definition. The Bible says they to become one flesh. You become compatible. And honey, let me tell you, there's an awful lot of living in that word become. There's a whole lot of hurt and life there. So Jesus' response to Peter is critical to us. Peter asked, how many times do I have to forgive? But it's appropriate for us to apply this principle of forgiveness to every relationship, including marriage. And the first truth that I want to share with you, this is not mysterious at all, but it's extremely important. Forgiveness is absolutely required in a marriage relationship. Look how it starts again. How many times, Lord, do I have to forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Well, Peter comes up. How many times do I have to forgive? And we all want to know the answer to that question. Peter and Jesus are not discussing soteriology or eschatology. They're not, they're not having a debate about some obscure biblical problem like whatever happened to the tribe of the Hittites or anything like this. When Peter asked the question, how many times do I have to forgive? We all want to know the answer to that question. That, that question has our fingerprints all over it. Some of you who have been married for a while hear that question and you've already got your tally sheets out because you think you're getting close to the number right now. How many times do I have to forgive? And you're ready for the answer. And I noticed that Peter already had an idea. He said seven times. And I've noticed this sometimes. When I think I'm praying with God, what I'm really doing is negotiating with God. Amen? Do you do that? Peter came to the table with a number. He had it in his mind. And I bet you he thought it was a good number. How many times, God? Seven. And I'll bet you that when Peter said it, he thought Jesus was going, Seven. Peter, how magnanimous of you. Let me pat you on the head, you dear saint, that you would show so much patience to forgive someone seven times. But here's what Jesus knew. Any relationship is going to require a lot more than seven, I'm sorry and I'm forgiving you. A lot more than that. Listen, if, if you're married and you only get seven do-overs, some of you burned through that the first month you were married. I, I, when I do premarital counseling with, some, with couples who are looking to get married, sometime in the second or third session, I will talk to them. I said, now let's talk about how to, how to fight because you're going to do it. And then I tell them, in fact, I'm going to tell you the first three things you're going to fight about in the first three months that you're married. You guys probably know what they are. The first three things you're going to fight about in the first three things that you're married. Sex, money, and in-laws. You're going to fight about those things. And by the way, you're going to keep fighting about those things. Those fights never end. We just come to a settled truce in a marriage relationship on these issues. So Jesus answers the question. He says, I don't say unto you seven times, I say seventy-seven times. Now, the New International folks are being very literal with the Greek there, but in the King James Version and other versions, which I think are more accurate, says, Jesus says, I tell you not seven times, but seventy times seven. And Jesus wasn't telling us to do the arithmetic in our head, even though that sounds overwhelming. What Jesus was doing in a rabbinical way was saying, forever, always. You're always going to have to forgive. Now, Here's a couple of thoughts. Life in general just makes forgiveness necessary. Peter doesn't ask if I'm offended. He asks when I'm offended. Because it's going to happen. I mean, the world is made for mercy. We keep saying this to you often here at High Point is that 
that, that the need for forgiveness is built into the very structure of every interpersonal relationship. And you were created to be in relationship. And so you're made to show mercy because every relationship comes with a potential for pain and wrong. And so every relationship demands mercy and forgiveness if it's going to survive and grow. Jesus said in the 18th chapter earlier, offenses will come. It's an ironclad guarantee. Ben Franklin said there are only two things you can count on, death and taxes. But Jesus said this is certain also. You're going to get hurt. You're going to be taken advantage of. Your heart's going to be broken. You will be let down. And having said that, I will say this. Marriage demands greater forgiveness than probably any other relationship. Peter says, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister? Peter was trying to sound purely theoretical. Again, this is a Sunday school trick that we fall into. You know, where we fall into that voice that we use, like we're trying to act like we're asking a detached question. So I'm sure that Peter was trying to say, well, well Lord, I'd like to ask you a question. I'd just discuss with me the subject of forgiveness and the obligations that one has when an offense has been perpetrated upon them by a brother or sister. But Peter knew who he was talking about. And uh, he knew exactly what had been done to him. He knew what it was that was on his mind when he asked the question. So here's my point. Most of us don't really wrestle with forgiveness when it comes to strangers. You know, some nameless soul cuts you off. You know how McDonald's now has the two, the two lanes where you've got to merge to get your food? Have they been to I-4? Do they know how impossible this is for us? And so you have to get in one or two lines again, and there's always that one jerk that doesn't know it's your turn. Does that tick you off like it does me? I pray for them often. And, um, but that kind of stuff gets on your nerves. But you know what? You're two bites into your Big Mac and you're over it. That doesn't take root in your soul. But when it's a brother or sister, it gets tough. And when it's a husband or a wife that breaks your heart, this could be one of the most painful challenges you will ever face. One pastor was talking about a friend of his who had been looking for the right guy. For ten years, she was tired of being single and alone. and She'd been praying and searching for someone that she could spend her life with. And she pulled the pastor aside after church and she said, This is driving me nuts! I've been looking for ten years for someone. I feel like I'm spending a third of my income on eHarmony. And the pastor's trying to console her. And what he said was brilliant. He said, Listen, I could introduce, introduce you to a lot of married people who thought that getting married was going to solve their problems. They're done with eHarmony. They'd like to put their spouse on eBay and just auction them off, you know, and get out of the pain of this decision and commitment that they've made. So listen, I, listen, the greater the potential for joy that a relationship has, the greater the potential for pain that it has. The, greater, the deeper the intimacy, the deeper the hurt. You have to make up your mind whether you think it's worth it or not. The greater the potential for joy, the greater the potential for pain, the deeper the intimacy, the deeper the heartbreak. When someone that you're so intimate with hurts you, when someone that you shared your hopes with, someone that you shared joys and secrets with, when a person that you thought you knew so well and it was someone that you thought you could trust absolutely, when they offend you, when they hurt you, when they break your heart, what do you do then? Forgiveness is easy at arm's length. It's easy for a preacher from a pulpit on Sunday morning. But when, but when the offender has taken up residence in your heart, when you've opened yourself up to someone on this level and they take advantage of you, well, when no one can love a person like that and 
Well, then no one can hurt us as deeply as that. So the question intensifies. Lord, how often can my husband offend? Lord, how can I forgive my wife for what she did? Lord, how am I ever going to find the strength to get past this pain, this hurt? And Jesus says, you have to do this over and over again. And if you don't like that answer, I agree with you. This ticks me off, frankly. But I keep remembering that this is not some tin-horned philosopher. This is Jesus talking. This is the man who was hanging on a cross for our sins when he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. So he must know something that we don't know. And one thing he knows is marriage will never last unless we forgive one another. Marriage will never last without forgiveness. Everyone says that forgiveness is a lovely idea until you've got something to forgive somebody for. And then, even to mention the subject at all, invites howls of anger and protest. So, if you're angry about what Jesus says to Peter, you're, you're in good company. But let's take the time to learn what forgiveness looks like before we give up on the proposition. Jesus tells a story about a king who decides to call everyone's line of credit in. So many of the day laborers and, and, and land servants there had to borrow money from the king in order to put their crops in. And so he calls in all of the lines of credit and he finds out that there's one servant who has racked up an incredibly huge credit card bill. He's in debt for 10,000 bags of gold. Some versions read 10,000 talents. Now, folks, you have to understand that one talent was more money than a typical day laborer could make in a year. So this guy was in debt for more money than he could make in in his lifetime, in 5,000 lifetimes. He would never make this much money. If you're having trouble understanding it, just think the U.S. Uh, the government debt that we have right now. That's kind of what we're talking about right now. It's never going to get paid back in your lifetime. This guy had gone into debt, a debt that his, his children would owe and his grandchildren would owe. He's never going to pay this debt off. And in that day, the king had the authority to seize all of his assets and throw that man in prison. And he, he could have his entire family sold into slavery so that they could work off the debt. So let me, let me just stop and take a quick detour with you this morning and tell you this. It is one thing when you decide to act in a selfish way, in a sinful way, and you suffer because of it. But folks, here's a truth that we often overlook, and we've nearly forgotten it in this day and age. Other people always suffer when we live selfish lives. Other people always pay a price for the sins that we commit. Other people always suffer when we don't keep our promises. It's one thing. I, I, listen, I've dealt with the children and the grandchildren of parents who were sinful and selfish. I, I've seen grown adults who are still in the bondage for the selfishness that their parents exhibited when they were children. Folks, when we as fathers and mothers act foolishly as husbands and wives, that curse can and often does extend to our children and to their children. And I know that we try and soft sell this reality in this day and age, but it is true. It's another reason why we need to understand that God made marriage a covenant and not a contract. When you walk into this, you have to keep your promises. It's not just about your heart. It's about the heart of the whole society. Other people pay when we don't keep our promises. If you cheat, if you get lazy, if you walk away from the I do just because you aren't into it anymore or because they just don't do it for you anymore, another human heart pays the price for that decision. And, and society as a whole pays a price for that. I could bore you to tears with this. 
I could bore you to tears with all of the statistical evidence that shows the correlation between the breakdown of a two-parent home and the increase in poverty and crime in a society. This is all for free, but I'm telling you folks, the problem isn't in Washington, it's in your living room. So the meeting takes place and this incredible thing happens. This guy who was in debt far beyond what he could ever pay, the king looks at him, and this is one of the best scriptures, he had mercy on him and forgave him. Frankly, just forgave him. 20,000 lifetimes worth of income. He's forgiven. He walks out a free man. Now understand that what Jesus is asking for when He tells us to forgive. And, and I'm going to start with the negative. Here's a few things. Sometimes you've got to know what it isn't before you can talk about what it is. So let me share a few things with you. Forgiveness isn't condoning a sin or a hurt that you suffered. The king demanded payment. And he called it what it was. And one of the first hurdles that we face if we're going to get to the health of forgiveness is this idea that forgiveness means that we just excuse or overlook selfishness and sinfulness. That's not forgiveness. That's enabling someone. The offender was called into account. And what he had done was laid out before him. It was dealt with honestly. And forgiveness demands honesty with one another about the ways that we have been hurt and acknowledging the debt that we owe. That brings a real freedom that no amount of excuse-making or rationalizing will ever do for you. The first thing we do is acknowledge the real sin. second thing I would tell you is forgiveness isn't the same as trusting someone. Forgiveness is something that we give freely, but trust is something people have to earn. Does Jesus say that the king let the man keep his job? Does Jesus say that the king gave the man the combination to the company safe or the password to the company accounts? If a husband has been using pornography or visiting strip clubs while he's out on a business meeting, then I would tell you, yeah, I might counsel a wife to forgive, but there also needs to be an established process in place so the husband can be held accountable and the wife can find the peace to trust him again. If a wife has had an affair on her husband and asked for forgiveness, there should be a period of time where that man has unlimited access to personal accounts and there is no question that is off limits. You do this so that you can trust one another again. And by the way, most of the time when the hurt is that deep, when we've done these 10,000 talent things to one another's hearts, you can't rebuild trust alone. You probably are going to have to get some help. So if you're in this place this morning and that's where you're at, you just discovered some infidelity, maybe you're in the backwash of it right now and you're still in the trauma and the shock of it, I'm telling you, you need to find help. Call us. Get with somebody because you're probably not going to get through this alone. Here's another thing I would tell you is forgiveness doesn't always mean reconciliation. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. But the conditional makes it clear that's not always possible. We need to do everything that we can to forgive and restore relationships, but sometimes it isn't possible. Look at what happens in this story. This man falls on his knees and begs for mercy, and the king frankly forgives him 20,000 lifetimes worth of debt. He gets up and walks out and bumps into someone who owes him 100 silver coins. That's a pretty manageable debt load, not a whole lot. And how does he respond? Grabs him by the neck and chokes him and demands payment and has this gentleman thrown into prison. Everything It doesn't end well because this guy's heart hasn't been touched. Folks, listen. When your heart has been touched by the grace of God, it changes how you deal with other people. 
So it proves that this man hasn't understood what's been done for him. He's still greedy and abusive and hard-hearted. He still has this problem mistreating other people. If the other person that has hurt you and broken your heart, if their character hasn't changed, if they're unwilling to acknowledge the hurt, if they're unwilling to confess and repent and go through the process having wronged you, then you can't reconcile with someone like that. You can't build a relationship safely unless it's built on truth. Without truth, there is no trust. And without trust, there is no relationship. So let me give you one more thing that forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness isn't forgetting. There are some things you'll never forget. When the king forgives, the con- get, forgives this man, the consequences don't just go away for the king. The king still has expenses. He's still out 20,000 day labor lifetimes worth of income. And he still has to pay the bills. And I bet every time that he cut a check from an account that had been emptied out by this day laborer, something in him thought, oh, I wonder if I should have let him off the hook. When you've been deeply hurt, you may choose to forgive very quickly. And God bless you if you can do that. I would encourage, I think that's the right thing to do. And you may say, okay, I'm going to forgive. And you may do that very quickly. But folks, let me, let me let you in on something. There are some heartbreak you'll go through that you're never going to forget. And I guess I'm saying that because I don't want you to fall into condemnation for this and I also want you to be on your guard because believe me, the enemy of your soul will use every reminder as a temptation to draw you back into bitterness and retaliation. And here's the thing. The longer you're with someone, the better you're able to hurt them. The better that you know someone the better you can hurt them. I mean, that's, that's not a really good thing, I guess, to say from the pulpit. But you all know it's true, don't you? The Bible says in Romans chapter, or Hebrews chapter 12, it warns us against a root of bitterness that can spring up and defile in our lives. Now, in context, what the writer was talking about is folks who say that they're born again but don't take holiness seriously. And so, root of old sins that they won't deal with spring up and defile them and the whole body. But... I would tell you that I think that it has an awful lot to say about our hearts in relationship too. I've told you all that I'm a serial killer in the world of botany. Every time I go to Lowe's or or Home Depot and I go into the plant section, I can almost see them trying to hide from me when I go in there. And I, we bought a house a few years ago over in Dinner Lake, and the lady we bought it off of kept had a really nicely landscaped front yard, and all of our neighbors have really nicely landscaped front yards. It gets on my nerves, frankly. Their priorities are all out of order, in my opinion. But I'm trying to keep up with the Joneses. And so I decided I will do this. And so we put down nice mulch. And I go out here every year at this certain time. And I try and weed everything up. And every year, I think I've gotten every weed. And you know what? The thing is about I can kill anything that's supposed to grow. But weeds, I can bring back like that. Have you guys noticed that weeds just come back on their own? No matter how hard you work, the root remains there. This is what the writer's talking about. Beware of this root of bitterness. When your heart has been broken, these things can spring up at the most unexpected times. You have to be very vigilant about this. And if we're honest with ourselves and with our God and with one another, if we think that one conversation, one romantic weekend, or one counseling session is going to get you past this level of heartbreak, you're being naive. Hurt takes root in your heart. And you have to be careful about it and work all the time to make sure that it's not springing up in you to defile your marriage relationship. Still, when Jesus tells us to forgive, He's not saying we must forget. So so what is it? What is He asking us for? What is forgiveness 
mean practically in our relationship? I've thought a lot about this this past week, and there's probably several things that I could say to you, but I've just boiled it down to one line. I hope you'll carry away with you this morning. Forgiveness is giving up on my right to get even with you. It's getting, it's giving up on getting even. Last week I was reading about a highway patrolman, and he, some guy zipped by him doing easily 20 miles per hour over the speed limit, and the patrolman caught up and pulled him over, and. He had just had one of those days, just seen one too many idiots um, on I-4 or something. And, and he pulls this guy over, and the dude's full of all the excuses. I'm late for work and blah, blah, blah. And the patrolman wasn't having any of it. Forget it, buddy. I'm tired. I've seen it all day long. Here's your fine. Tell it to the judge. Hands him the ticket, walks off. That weekend, the patrolman had to play in a recreational softball game. And when it was his turn to bat, he walks up to the plate, and he notices that the umpire is the guy that he wrote the ticket to on I-4. And he looks at him and he says, well, hey, how did that ticket thing work out? And the ump says, you had better swing at everything. I love that story. I love it. You do too. You love it too. You love it. You love it for the same reasons that you love Arnold Schwarzenegger movies or Mark Wahlberg movies because that's the way life is supposed to go. The good guys are supposed to get what's coming to them. The bad guys are supposed to get what's coming to them. The good guys are supposed to get even. And at the end, all the bad guys are in one cabin and all get blown up at the end of the movie. That's the way it's supposed to happen. And in the movies, what's so cool is that we always know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. We don't have to figure it out like we do in marriage. Marriage is never that neat. So follow the story. The guy walks out of the king's office. He finds a friend that owes him a hundred silver coins, grabs him by the throat, chokes him, demands that he pays him. And when his friend can't pay him, he has him thrown in prison. Does that anger you? Does that bother you? Well, why? All he is doing is demanding what is his right to demand. He was justified. And he was right. This guy owed him money. We use language like this all of the time. After what they did to me, they owe me. They deserve what's coming to them. Well, that's what makes it forgiveness. Forgiving means knowing full well that the offense was out and out wrong and that you didn't deserve it. You know all of that and you still decide to relinquish your right to make the guilty person keep paying for what they did. It's giving up the right to hurt you for hurting me. Instead, it's making a decision to free you. Hurt people, hurt people. Free people, free people. So let's finish with this. How and why do we forgive? So Jesus finishes the story up this way. This man is called back in to the king's presence. And the master says, You wicked servant, I cancel all your debt because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master hands him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything back that he owed. Now this is the way the story ends. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, we're church people, so our minds automatically start qualifying this. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but then there's this doctrine. and Yeah, but then there's this doctrine. Folks, Jesus knew how to say what He wanted to say. So, just read that with me again. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Don't try and rationalize these words. They're sobering because He intended them to be. 
Forgiveness is not an option for us. So let's finish by talking about how. The first thing is what we do with all these things. You've got to ask God to help you do what you can't do on your own. One of the things that makes forgiveness possible for us is when we fully appreciate how much we've been forgiven. See, 30 minutes earlier, I would have been right with this guy. If, if he'd have had this conversation with his friends 30 minutes before, give me the hundred silver coins that you owe me, I would have been right there with this guy. He's in debt up to his eyeballs. He's got to get his hands on all the money that he can get. When you're in, in debt like that, it makes perfect sense for you to behave like that. But not after you've been forgiven. Not after you've experienced the grace of the King. Not after all of that debt has been canceled. There's no reason for you to behave like this any longer. It's amazing how one gracious encounter with the King changes the way you relate to everybody. It changes everything. So just a couple of things. First, because we have been forgiven, we have to forgive. That's how it works in heaven's economy. Jesus says if you don't forgive a brother who sins against you, your Father in heaven will not forgive you when you sin. And there are no qualifications on that. So since you've been forgiven, you have to forgive. But here's the more exciting part. Because you have been forgiven, you can forgive. Jesus only takes the story to the point of forgiveness here. But, but listen, you all know that God doesn't stop just at forgiving us of our sins. God not only cancels our debt, God also pours His grace into our hearts. And folks, by the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, you can do everything Jesus tells you to do in this Scripture. Some of you would say, well, nope, nope, I can't do it. This hurt is too deep. This heart is too broken. It's gone too far. Yes, you can. You can. If you have the resources of God. So we start first by acknowledging to God, yeah, I'm hurt, but also give me the power to forgive. And then we hand it over to Him. Now, the next thing is you've got to start taking some courageous steps. Talk about it. Stop ignoring it. Some of you here are pretty early in your marriage relationship. We see you come in. You still kind of hold hands and look at each other funny and kind of gets on our nerves, makes us sick. We can pick you out. And we think, oh, God, you don't even know what's coming. So you're, you're, <laughs> so you're in the early stages. So let me tell you, there's, there's some hurts there already. There's already little things that are nagging at you. Don't let them pile up. Don't let them pile up. Get to these things while there's still 100 silver coin problems and not 10,000 talent problems in your relationship. And here's another courageous step. If you're the one that did the wrong, if you're the one that broke the other person's heart, you start the conversation. This story ends with a man who cannot forgive being tormented in prison because he can't forgive. That's where everyone who can't forgive ends up, in prison. Anyone who cannot forgive ends up in a prison of bitterness. An emotional bondage begins to take root in their soul. Have you ever had to visit someone in prison? Anybody that had to visit someone in prison? I just had to go visit someone in jail not too long ago. It's not fun. There's nothing enjoyable or pleasant about a prison visit. It's a terrible environment. It's, it's an oppressive environment by design. Nobody enjoys walking into prison to have a conversation. But so, folks, I'm going to tell you, when you have put somebody, when you're married to someone and you've broken their heart and you've put them in a prison of bitterness, this conversation is not going to be pleasant. But you've got to have the courage to go in and have the conversation you don't want to have. It may mean you risk visiting them in their torment 
But instead what we do is we walk around trying to avoid the conversation. You walk on eggshells. You, you just try to go through the days without getting through one more fight. You, you just try and buy them stuff and ignore that they're in prison. But you have to be willing to visit them in their hurt. you got a part to play. You had a part to play in getting them there. You have to love them enough to play your part in getting them out of there. Have the courage to have the conversation. Here's another one. Get help. I've said this. I'm going to say it over and over again. Get to an altar. Get some Christians around you. Folks, you don't come to church to listen to me talk for crying out loud. You come to do business with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here. So, get to an altar. Get some Christians praying for you and then get in the hands of a good counselor and find the help that you need. This man decides to put his friend in prison to get even. And he had the right to do that. But where does it lead for him? He gets in front of the king and the king has him thrown in prison. In anger, the master hands him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. Now, he's never going to do that. He can never pay this debt. And that's where you find yourself this morning. First of all, if you haven't ever experienced the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, you owe a debt that you can never pay. Your sins can only be paid for on the credit of Jesus. And you're never going to get out of the hole in your marriage relationship until you start living out of the grace of the King. One pastor has said it this way, resentment and revenge seem like a feast for a king until you realize that the meal you're having is your own heart. You start out holding a grudge and you realize in the end it's the grudge that's holding you. A gentleman named Wally cheated on his wife. His wife's name was Thane and when she discovered his infidelity, you all know, you can imagine the shockwaves, the trauma that that sent off in that home. The deep hurt in the chilly house. Walt kept a journal and And on the pages, he said that Thane just can't forgive me. I've broken her. But Jesus could. So one day, Walt was sitting in his study and he had just leaned back in his chair when the door to his study opened and Thane walked into the office. And she stood in front of him for a second. And then she said, Wally... I was just wondering if you would hug me. And Walt said, Dear Lord Jesus, where did this come from? This undeserved willingness to let me touch her again and to hug her and to love her. That doesn't come from a human heart. Certainly not hers because I had killed that part of her. No, love so amazing can only come from you. This is is God's handiwork, writ large. So I wanted to talk to you about this this morning, folks, because some of you find yourself in a very dark and broken place and the only way you get out is the grace of God. And I'm praying that you'll begin to experience that in your marriage and your friendships today. It's possible because of God's grace. Won't you all pray with me?
Just this morning, Father, we were talking about how funny it is in some ways and painful it is in other ways to grow old. And there's that line that we use, if only I had known then what I know now. But even that, I think, Lord, is an act of grace because there are a lot of us, had we known in advance the hurt, all of the times that we would have had to say, I'm sorry and I forgive you, we might not have been willing. We just might not have been courageous enough to ever risk loving somebody. And we would have missed everything that life is about. And so, I bless you, God, for that, that you knew exactly what you were doing when you knit us together and designed us the way that you did. Sometimes ignorance does the work of courage. And you've blessed us beyond ourselves because we are with people who love us, who know us very well and care about us. It's one of your biggest blessings. But then there's this other thought that occurs to me when we think about that. You knew before you ever created the first one that we would betray you. You knew we would break your heart. And you made the decision to love us anyway. That's why we stand here this day praising you and trusting you like we do. It's an amazing thing that you knew everything about us before you created the first one. And you were willing to love us the way you did. This morning, Father, my prayer is that more of us would experience that in ways we never have before. I'm asking you, God, for the one who walked into this place or the couple that walked into this place and they're numb They don't even know why they bothered to get dressed to come to church, but it was something they could do without having to think about it. And I'm praying then, the Holy Spirit, You would push past all of that pain and the excuses and the anger and the bitterness. And today, help us to do business with You and find in You the strength that we need to keep the promises that we made to one another. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Stand with me, folks.